Thanks, Abby. Shall we pray as I start? Father God, we do thank you for your word. And Lord Jesus, we help, we pray that you would help us now as we explore what it means, what it means to see those who suffered. We thank you that you suffered so much for us and that you love us so very much. So pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, challenge and encourage each one of us now. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Good morning to you all. The Pride of Britain Awards. Do you watch like we do in our family? Do you watch those once a year? Does, do any of you know Pride of Britain Awards? On my own here, a few of you are owning up to that. Well, as a family, we really, really love that program. And um, it's become a bit of a tradition to sit and watch every year. And uh, we always end up in tears, kind of watching these stories, stories of real great courage from ordinary people and stories of compassion and of selfless and fearless love for others. A couple of years ago, there was a story about the seven-year-old girl who they were downstairs having breakfast and she realized that her um, little sister, just a toddler, had gone up the stairs and she knew that her mum had begun to run a bath and um, she just put the hot tap on and this seven-year-old went upstairs and uh, found her sister in the bath in this scalding hot water and so she bravely got into the water and pulled her out. Or the one story about the man who was driving on the motorway and um, saw that there was a car which um, had... um, crashed on the fast lane and there was a family trapped inside and he parked his car and made a dash across the carriageway not once I think three times he did it and rescued the family that was inside and um, our children love to hear these stories over and over and over again they watch the program themselves but then they do for about six months afterwards ask him and I will you tell tell us the story about the seven-year-old girl tell us the story about that brave man who ran across the motorway but we're thankful that um, the passage passage that we've just heard read from the bible is not a message and a challenge to us to do anything like you hear on the Pride of Britain Awards. Thankfully, I'm sure we'll be glad to know that actually this isn't the kind of care that Jesus is talking about in this passage in Matthew's Gospel. This section of teaching, these chapters 24 and 25, they contain the final parts of Jesus' teaching before he goes on to be arrested and to die. And you could describe, therefore, this part of his teaching as acting like a periscope because it looks above the turbulence and the difficulty of Jesus' coming death to a time when his lordship will be fully known. So the perspective in which it is given is eternal. It's future-facing. And here in this passage, Jesus is teaching us how we are to live as we wait for the final outcome and his return, as we see the revealing of Jesus' power. And it stands as those final words. It's what Jesus leaves 
his disciples with before then we hear the story of the cross and where we see Jesus identifying himself totally and completely with his brother in need. And so it makes, I don't know about you, but when you read this passage, it makes for quite uncomfortable reading. There's a real message that we need to be ready to encounter encounter Jesus in the unexpected places. And we see how he identifies himself with the weak and with the broken and the beaten of this world. He has suffered as they do. And he judges, and there's a clear message here of judgment, but he judges as the Christ of the cross. So this is a message here for us in how we are to care for others. So let's have a look at how this message pans out. What does it mean for us as a church community in our care for one another and our care for the world around us? So firstly, it's important that we understand who it is that Jesus wants us to care for. And we are told, aren't we, more than once, for the least of these. No distinction is made in this teaching of whether these people are inside or outside of the church community. There's no idea of age or of gender. No judgment on whether they deserve the care or not. It's simply any who struggle, who are up against it, any who are living in dark and difficult situations. As we've heard, it's uh, Prison Sunday, and um, it's prison, like National Prisons Week, and there's some great resources on the website as well. And um, they're using the strap line for National Prisons Week, as you can see behind me. Can you see me, or are you just looking? Can you see me? Or are you just looking? Because when we look into the eyes of those who are struggling, wherever and whoever they may be, it can be a difficult thing. I don't know about you, but maybe it's that look of isolation or vulnerability. The look of being hungry or trapped or in pain. But Jesus challenges us about the importance of stopping and seeing those around us, not just looking and recognising the needs that there are in the people around us. And it's really important too that in this care for others, we're aware of our own vulnerabilities too, that we recognise that we are each the least of these. But this isn't something just about other people because it can be all too easy, can't it, to be quite smug or patronising, this is what we do for them. This is how we care for them. When actually, we all need to receive care and to give care at various points in our lives. And in my work as a nurse, that was what I did before I trained to be a priest, my work as a priest, my work as a chaplain, I've come to see firsthand the reality of how difficult circumstances can just become a part of everybody's part, uh, everybody's life so easily and that actually the things that we each have to face as we go through life and just to pull out a few examples of um, the many really of people that I've met 
the young prostitute who I nursed when I first qualified in Stoke, who'd been raped and attacked and left for dead. It was easy to judge her and make a judgment about her lifestyle and her situation. But actually, as you looked deeper and heard her story and got to know her, you found that she'd been thrown out of her home. When her mum remarried, there was no place for her. She didn't get on with her stepdad, and so she was thrown out and um, was really very vulnerable and ended up on the streets in that situation because she felt that she didn't have anywhere else to go. The homeless girl in Luton that I worked with when I was a curate, and um, her mum had died, and then she went on and her dad had a breakdown because of the stress in that situation. He moved to Bristol, and actually she was, um, she was left living in a hostel. She'd been in foster care, and when she got to 16, her foster carers decided that um, she could no longer live with them. So there she was in a hostel, aged just 16, and then ending up on the streets. The company director who I got to know when I was in Addenbrooke's working as a chaplain, who'd had a breakdown due to stress, ending up hospitalised, his marriage broken, and his company in ruins. This is a passage and teaching that urges us to see the hungry and the thirsty, those imprisoned in any way, people in pain or trapped in their own situations, the person sitting next to us, living opposite us, working with us, me, you. So who is it then that's to give this care? Whose job is it? It's the vicars, isn't it, surely? The perfect vicar would have this all covered because it is their job after all. And I've got, I found this on the internet, a, um, about the perfect vicar. And um, it offers a solution to how you can get yourselves one. So uh, this is about the perfect vicar. The vicar does indeed exist. And if you've never met them, I'm sure you'll still know that they're out there somewhere. So just in case you've never dreamed of the perfect vicar, they must be defined in the following terms. The perfect vicar preaches for exactly 10 minutes. Perfect vicar condemns sin, but never hurts anybody's feelings. The perfect vicar works from 8 o'clock in the morning until midnight and also works as the church caretaker. The perfect vicar makes £100 a week, wears very stylish clothes, drives a new car that reflects well on the church, buys 10 really good books each week to keep up to date, and donates £80 a week to the parish. The perfect vicar is 29 years old, but has 40 years' worth of experience. (laughs) Above all, the perfect vicar is very attractive. The perfect vicar has a burning desire to work with the teenagers, and they spend most of their time with the senior citizens. The perfect vicar smiles all the time with a straight face because they have a sense of humour that keeps them seriously dedicated to the parish. The perfect vicar makes 15 home visits a day and is always in the office or at the end of the phone or email to be handy when needed by anybody. 
The perfect vicar always has time for the PCC and all of its other committees. He never misses any meetings, is always busy evangelising the unchurched. The perfect vicar is always in the next parish where your friend attends church. And then this, it gives us a solution as well to our, to our difficulties. It says, if your vicar does not measure up, then simply send this notice to six other parishes that are tired of their vicar too. Then bundle up your vicar and send him to the parish at the top of the list. If everyone cooperates in one week, you will receive 1,643 vicars from which to choose your perfect one. (laughs) And it ends with, have faith in this letter because it works. But beware, one parish broke the chain and got its old old vicar back in less than three months. (laughs) A bit of, um, of fun, but actually it just alludes to something quite serious about expectations and about sometimes how we can think that certain things are certain people's jobs. Because we don't, we might not just do that about the vicar, we might think, well, it's for Eleanor, she's the pastoral care team coordinator, or maybe for the pastoral care team. But actually, it's something for us all, isn't it? Because this passage makes it clear when we read this Bible teaching, the message is clear and uncompromising, that all the nations will be gathered before him, it says. All the nations. We will each be asked by God, what did we do to help and to care for others? What did I do? What did you do? This is not just a job for the trained or the professionals or those who think it's their ministry or the vicar. It's a job for each and every one of us. We each have a part to play. And actually, as we see in this teaching, it's an essential part of our lives as Christians. The stark reality is that we will each face judgment about the way in which we chose to live our life in relation to our attitude of care for others. And if we each just thought of something that we could do in the coming week even, just something simple that we could each do. Could you ask somebody around for a meal or a coffee? Could you bake a cake for somebody or make a meal for somebody who's feeling low? Go to visit somebody you know who's in hospital, who, who, who finds it difficult to get out of the house. We don't need to have professional training to do any of those things, but there is so much need around us. And for some of us, there is that calling to get involved in more specific areas of need. And we've heard from Mark and Ian and Simon about the area of prison ministry. And maybe that's something that as we've heard that, that we think maybe God's calling us into that ministry as well. But there's lots of others, street pastors we've heard a lot about recently, fostering and adoption, Sole purpose, we've heard about this morning. Romania and Moldova, lots of different things, areas of ministry where we can meet the needs of others. So let's be open to what God calls each one of us to do. Just imagine if we each played our part, how we could transform our community and wider and further afield. So if this is care that we all need to give... What does it look like? 
Because when we read this passage, we get a clear message that to say that we know Jesus is not all that is asked of us. It's actually that that knowing Jesus should make a difference to the way we live our lives each and every day, 24-7. It's that attitude of heart and the outworking of that. Our response to the one who cared for us in our care for others. And reassuringly, it is, it's those simple things that we're called to do. As I said, Jesus isn't asking us to get ourselves a nomination for the Pride of Britain Awards. Not like Rev, if you've been watching um, the wonderful uh, new series of Rev. And, um, but we're not being asked to do anything like that. This is a passage of teaching and a message for each of us that talks about spending time with people, offering hospitality, friendship, meeting basic needs, being alongside others at difficult times. It's simple, simple things, but taking the time to do that and taking the time to look and to really see how people are doing. I think sometimes, I know when I um, did some first aid training and did it in my nursing as well, about when you look at a, a kind of scene of disaster where there's multiple injuries, that actually you're trained to look very carefully. And often it's the people who are very quiet that actually can be quite seriously injured. And I think sometimes we can fall into a trap of just looking very kind of on the surface when actually we need to really look and see how people are doing and meet the needs of those who maybe it's less obvious. It's finding ways of doing that. And in Christchurch as well, one way that we can do that is by being either part of a small group or if we can't get to one, then being willing to be linked to a small group. Because again, we can't just care for one another within our church community in a traditional way of either assuming that the vicar will do it or that somebody will know what's going on in each one of our lives. It's actually about getting to know one another and small groups are the way to do that much more easily and in friendship groups too. And so finally, why should we care? What will inspire us to act on what we've heard? In response to all that we've been given through Jesus, because we need to know that it's Jesus that we're serving, because it's a, an essential part, not just an add-on to our lives as Christians. It's not just something for those that find it easy. It's for each and every one of us. Because the message is clear. Jesus will judge us in accordance to our reaction to human need. And to end with far more eloquent words than my own, Archbishop Rowan Williams said, when Jesus said, when I was in prison, you visited me. We are assured of two things. Firstly, that Jesus is already with those who struggle. And secondly, that he is waiting for us there. Because it is in meeting the needs of those around us that we meet with the Christ who suffered and died because of his great love for us. <laughs>